If we haven't met, my name is Pastor Mark. I co-teach. If you've just been coming the last few weeks, all you've seen is Zach, um, who's my better half up here. Um, but um, as I said, he's feeling a little under the weather, so I'm just going to jump in and wrap up this series. So we're going to be in two places, so I need you to open to two places, multitasking in church, okay? Insane, crazy, I know. So I want you to open up to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, which is where we will begin. Hebrews 10, and we'll be at verse 19, so depending on where your Bible breaks up that chapter, if it does with a page turn. Hebrews 10, I've got to turn up my light on this thing, it's pretty dark. Hebrews 10 and then Acts 2, well Acts, just open to Acts, we'll just, we'll probably just do the whole book or something, I don't know, we'll see. By the way, it's a short study tonight, we're doing from Genesis to Revelation. About 90% of you think I'm kidding. You'll find out in about an hour or four, okay? And so, Dave puts up that cute little counter every week, and I just ignore it every week. <laughs> Ten minutes. <laughs> Give me 20 or 30 for my intro, okay? There we go, 99, outstanding. Let's be realistic. All right, so you got your thumb in Hebrews 10 and Acts. I'm going to pray. I need help. So do you, and then we'll get started. Sound good? All right, so let's pray. Jesus, um, tonight's about you as every night is. And so we just pray that uh, through the Holy Spirit that you would be made more beautiful. Jesus, that our affections for you would be stirred up. That our affections for your bride would be stirred up. That uh, we, we would see this deeper understanding of what it means to be in the topic that we're studying tonight. And so would you just unveil that? I, I can be diligent to give a sermon but Holy Spirit, I, I trust and I know that you can embed it in the hearts of your people. And so let everything that comes from me be forgotten. But everything that comes from you, may it be wrestled with. Uh, may be it forever stamped into our hearts. And so, Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. And we ask that, again, that this time would be pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So look, as we've been endeavoring, as, as Zach has been endeavoring to do for this series... We're really setting this foundational tone, and if you haven't been here, we've been going through this study called Anchored, and I resist the urge to wear a super trendy Anchor t-shirt tonight, okay? So I went with an Indian one instead. Oh, it has an Anchor, never mind. I didn't realize that. Well, it's iron and resin, they just do anchors everywhere, so so consider me on trend. Um, and so what we're really doing is kind of studying these foundational things that maybe in the Christian walk, maybe in your Christian walk, and if you're not a Christian, you've certainly heard of these things, but even in the church, sometimes we don't know why we adhere to these things, or we've just simply made them religious practices. And look, I, I can tell you this from the, from the depths of my heart, Jesus could not care less about your religion. He could not care less about your ability to adhere to certain principles. He couldn't, or else he would have been in love with the Pharisees, and he wasn't. He fought with the Pharisees that made church about them and what they could do for God, not what God had done or was doing for them. God couldn't care less about your religion. And it sounds cheesy, it sounds like a bumper sticker, but it truly is about the relationship that you have with Jesus, not your religion. 
not your religion. And so we've been setting this sort of foundational base. But up until now, if you kind of notice that, maybe you haven't, but, but when you think about it, we've been, we've been taking a look at a lot of individual concepts, yes? Not individual concepts, but concepts that apply to you individually. Have you noticed that? Right? So if Zach hadn't structured this series without community at the end, you could say, got my knowledge, I'm out. I'm headed home because I've been saved individually, right? I can study by myself. In fact, Zach boldly said that we should be studying on our own, right? As we should. I can pray on my own. We understand that our life is worship, and so worship does not, is not confined to this building, and so I can worship on my own. Can we not do all those things on our own? Absolutely. But that's where this series comes in. That's where this sermon comes in. It's this perfect end cap. Because I'll say it now, and I'll say it again at some point in the sermon. You have been saved individually. Yes? Amen? Who's on board with that? Anyone? Okay. You have, Jesus has saved you. If you're a Christian, he has saved you individually, but he did not save you into individuality. He did not save you into individuality. He saved you individually, but not into a life of individuality, which flies in the face of everything you will hear in the culture today, especially in America. We are the most independent, separate-minded, siloed-thinking country on the planet. You have been saved individually, but you have not been saved to individuality. And so we're going to wrap up this series anchored by taking a look, a broad look at a foundational piece that perhaps you've struggled with, perhaps your friends are struggling with, on what it means to be anchored in community. Now, how many of you have heard this, have maybe thought this, talked to friends who have said this, or maybe quite possibly you've at some point in your walk believed this? I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Right? Sociology 101, that was the first thing our professor asked. Who here considers himself religious? Like, no one raised their hand. Mm-mm. How many of you consider yourself spiritual? Oh, yeah, I'm a, it's just for sure. There's a God, and I know some things about him. I don't go to church. I don't need, uh, how many of you have heard that? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Right? It means I don't go and do religious things. I don't go do the church thing. I don't go do that stuff. But I have a general awareness that there's a spiritual realm and that there is God. What about this one? The church is just a man-made establishment. Right? They'll even try to quote the Bible on this one. Or they'll say, look, you'll even get this stream in Christianity. You say, look, church was never meant to be more than house groups. There's an entire movement. I know people, in fact, there's a church called the, the church with no name that only adheres to home group study. Why? Because I, I, that's all I read in Acts. They haven't really read Acts as we're going to see tonight. They've glazed over some things. So they say, well, the church is really just kind of a man-made establishment. They just want to get your money. They want to get your support. They just want to do things for themselves, get everyone paid, send you home. So I don't necessarily need to go to church because, again, I can, 
I was saved individually. I can pray on my own. I can read my Bible on my own. I can even worship on my own. How many have heard this? I don't need church. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Right? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't necessarily need church. Now, you may not need church. You certainly don't need church to be saved. Jesus saves you. But when Jesus saves you, when the Holy Spirit saves you, you will want to go to church. That's the premise. That's why tonight, I don't have to convince you to go to church. I don't. Most of you are like, that's because I'm already here, genius. (laughs) But again, I want to set the foundation of who builds the church, how the church is built, and, and, and even a little bit of what it looks like. Because there's a lot of different ways you could go on community, and what I'm not going to do is give you all the advantages of being here. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about the discipleship and the, the, the spiritual headship and, and pastoral leadership and this, that, and the other. What I want to do is set the foundation out. Because when someone comes up and says, bro, I'm a Christian. Jesus saved me. I know that. Why do I need to go to church? <clears throat> What's our answer? <clears throat> Well, because the Bible says you should. Where? Uh, I don't know. So I want to get to the very root, the very core. And we'll start in Hebrews, because it says this in Hebrews 10, verse 19. As we've been studying through Hebrews in this series, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, has Zach not been preaching boldness before the king? Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, saved by Jesus, the forerunner, the one that goes out in that small boat and sets the hook to the rock. We have boldness under the blood of Jesus. It says, verse 20, by the new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then this, and let us consider one another. Oh, but I thought my faith was between me and Jesus. It is. There are vertical implications for your faith. We need to talk about horizontal implications of your faith. Look, there are vertical implications of your faith. But we need to talk about the horizontal implications of your faith. And it says, so let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's church. No, 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 no. That's just as long as I've got some Christian friends and they keep me accountable and we we hang out. We'll contend with that idea. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some people do say that. Look, I was personally saved. I don't really need the church. The Bible acknowledges that that's going to (laughs) happen. forsaking the assembly. We're not even talking about non-believers. We're talking about believers that forsake assemblance. As is the matter of some, but exhorting one another 
And so much the more as you see the day. There's a capital D for a reason. That's an event. That is a proper noun this day we're talking about. And I want you to keep that in mind. Capital D, day. The more as you see the day approaching. Something's coming and it has implications for our faith. Our faith has implications for that capital D day. Now, where does community begin? Where does community begin? Flip over to Acts chapter one. Who give me an answer? Where does community begin? Anyone? Everyone's afraid. I don't come to church to be asked questions. Where does does community begin? Oh, someone's smart. Has probably heard this before. I tried to set you up. It doesn't begin in Acts. The beauty of the concept of, 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 of communities, it doesn't start with you. Everyone take a deep breath and go, thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. I do not have to bear the weight of being the arbiter of the concept of community. Thank goodness. So when people look at the church and say, look, you guys are all screwed up. I know. One in, right? You are a bunch of hypocrites and we got room for another. Come on in. You guys don't, this, this whole community, it's all messed up. It's totally jacked up. But thank goodness, we are not the standard. Community begins with God. Community begins with God. Why do you go to church? What's the point? You guys, it's just a bunch of screwed up people trying to, why do we go to church? First and foremost, because community begins with God. Genesis 1.1 says this. I told you we were going to do the whole Bible tonight. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Elohim. As Pastor Marty knows, him in the Hebrew is plural, but we're talking about one God. We're talking about singular plurality. Unified diversity. It's where we get our word university. It's true. Singular plurality. Unified diversity, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equally God. Functionally submitted with separate roles. Right? God the Father did not hang from a cross for your sins. Nor did the Holy Spirit. Community. Perfect community begins with God. Not the church. Not even Israel. In the beginning, God, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect, continual, eternal, loving, gracious, communicating community. Constantly. Contrary to popular belief, God did not create us because he needed friends. He didn't. Some of you have been made to believe, look, God wanted fellowship, and so he had kids. God had perfect fellowship apart from us. Perfect community in the Trinity. Constant, outpouring, eternal community. And it says he created. Now, who has done this? When they say, God created everything. In our minds, I've done this. Have you put him in heaven when he created everything? It's like there was God out in heaven and he created everything. The Bible says in the beginning, God created. And he created what? The heavens and the earth. So where was he? There was nowhere to be. There was just simply God. Heaven didn't even exist in Genesis 1.1. We know John 1 1 says the word was with God and the word was God. 
And there's Jesus at the center of the community. Constant pouring out community. In the beginning, God created. He created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. He has perfect communion. Perfect community with Adam and Eve, doesn't he? They're the only people that knows what it's, that, that knows what it's like to be perfect. They're the only ones that knows what eternal community with God feels like so far. They had it initially. And it took two chapters for us to screw everything up. Two chapters. Genesis 3, what do we do? Creepy little snake comes crawling up. Actually, the Bible says that it was struck down to crawling position later. So when the snake first came into the garden, it may have been walking or bouncing. I don't know. It may have been a tigger thing. Some of you never thought about that. You think the Bible's not interesting. I don't know which one you're reading. It says the snake came to her, and it was later that he was forced to be a crawl. So I don't exactly know how Satan got in there as a snake, but it's probably pretty creepy. Comes walking in or something. I don't know. Read it. Some of you are going to go home. I don't think that's right. I think he was crawling the whole time. You'll see tonight. Go home and take a look at it. He came in. He said what? Boil all Genesis 3 down. Boil all the core root of our sin down. He said, you can be like God. That's it, plain and simple. You can be like God. So Adam and Eve went like this. We took Jesus down off his throne. We'll put ourselves there. This is God. This is where God belongs. I want to be God. Every time you sin, you say, I want to be God. Every time you sin, you say, I want to be God. Adam and Eve said, we want to be God. And what happened? Kicked out of the garden. Now community is broken with God. Now our trajectory is hell, apart from the saving grace of God himself. We broke from community with God. Doesn't mean that his community was ever broken. We broke community and eternal fellowship with God. And so the rest of the Old Testament is then God beginning to restore community with his people. Right? The nation of what? Nation of Israel comes up. God sees fit by civil law, ceremonial law, moral law. He sees that that God's people are known, they're distinct, they're understood, they're protected, they're cared for, they're loved, they're completely miserable and sinful, to be sure. But God says, I have set you apart. And, And look, Judaism has amazing community. Christians are pathetic compared to Judaism when it comes to community. Pathetic. I got rabbis that come into my office in Calabasas to do their religious stuff, right? They're coming in. They're out there getting their people. They're keeping in contact with the people. They're wrapping their arms at work. They're doing the religious practices at work. And so God sets up the nation of Israel and it moves through the Old Testament. But the point of Israel was what? Come on, we know this Sunday nights. Point of the Old Testament, point of the nation of Israel. Pointing to Jesus, yes? Yes? Pointing to Jesus. And so the nation of Israel moves through this amazing community of God's people, moves through the Old Testament, points to Jesus coming on the cross. And then Jesus comes. You notice that God came to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned? You notice that God came directly to his people multiple times in the Old Testament? You see that Jesus came to be in community with his people? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as the Gospels depict, as they show us that God comes to community, he doesn't say, I'll wait till you get to me. That God constantly pursues his people for his mission, for his glory. 
God is constantly pursuing. Read the book of Hosea. Read the Old Testament book of Hosea. About a prophet that's told to marry a prostitute and she runs from him and she goes and she continues her stuff. And he's told over and over, Hosea, go after her, go after her. It's a picture of Jesus going after people. And so Jesus comes to be with his people. And as we see in Acts, look, we know the story. It didn't go well for Jesus. They murdered him. Why? Not for feeding the poor, not for befriending the outcasts, not for healing. You don't kill the guys that can heal people from illness. We call them doctors. We pay them a buttload of money. Right? Why did they kill Jesus? Why did they murder Jesus? He said he was God. There's no way God comes to his people like that. There's no way God comes washing feet. No way. So they put him on a cross and they murder him. He goes into the ground. And then the Holy Spirit raises him, doesn't he? Three days later, he's raised from the dead. Death is now defeated. The grave was made for sinners and it couldn't hold him. The grave was made for sinners. It couldn't hold him. And he comes out and he's arisen and says this. We're just going to do this rapid fire study through kind of the beginning of Acts. So take a look at the beginning of one. It says this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Here's the big idea from that, just alone from that. The mission of the church is to continue the mission of Jesus. Some of you thought his mission ended when he left. It says, no, that was just the beginning of what I was saying and doing. That he began to say and teach. Just the beginning. And the church is now charged with the mission of continuing that. The American church acts like there's no game plan. We're just waiting for revelation to happen. Cross was thousands of years ago. Revelation hasn't happened yet. So we just got to go to work and come home and get a paycheck until then. What's the church supposed to do? Continue the work of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Read the gospels. That's when we say that Jesus's life should be mirrored in yours. That's what we mean. We invented surfing just to try to walk on water, right? (laughs) All that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse three, I told you it's gonna be rapid fire. Stay with me. Verse three says, to whom he also presented himself alive. Christianity is dead if Jesus is dead. And trust me, if they found his bones, you would know about it. Every time they uncover some stone in Israel, it proves the Bible right by what it finds or by what it doesn't find. Every time it finds a new city, it was confirmed by the Bible. And every time they turn over a new grave and they find the bones and it's not Jesus's, it confirms the Bible. Your faith is alive. The church is alive for one reason, because Jesus is alive. We do not serve a dead king. We do not serve a dead king. Your faith is alive only because Jesus is alive. As other places in the Bible says, your faith is futile without the resurrection. Futile. And it says this, verse four says, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is transitioning his mission here. He's transitioning it. 
He's risen from the grave. He's getting ready to go home. He's got 40 days. And what he says is, my mission isn't ending, it's transferring. And you notice you saw a lot of God the Father in the Old Testament. And then in the Gospels, you see a lot of Jesus. And that's what we see now. A lot of the Holy Spirit. All three members of God's community actively pushing the gospel forward. Epic. It's the greatest story ever told. Epic, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all playing their role to move human history through history to the glory of God alone. And so he says, look, I'm transitioning. And so we're going from Jesus's ministry to the continuation of Jesus's ministry via the Holy Spirit. Via the Holy Spirit, not your own ability. Not your own ability. Via the Holy Spirit. Verse eight says, but you shall receive Power. The word there is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. It says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Have you ever noticed? Maybe you haven't because you haven't experienced it. And I pray that you don't unless it's in a controlled environment. If you've ever experienced dynamite, no one questions if something happened. I was in Iraq and we were on a, our first combat patrol and, and we knew that they knew we were coming because they murdered a religious leader the night before, which serves to scare the people and draw in the troops. And so we're on a convoy. We know they're, we're ready, geared up. They're going to hit us. And they did. They drove a car right in front of us, right in front of my Humvee. An Iraq police guy had gone around me. And so they were either aiming for the Humvee in front of me or my Humvee. And they got the Iraqi police car. The dude had his trunk full of C4. And he flipped the switch. <laughs> no one was like, did something happen? I'm not sure. Some of you, it's like a morbid story and I want you to laugh right afterwards. I know, I get it. But, and, and so no one questioned whether or not something happened. What you see in Acts 1 and 2 is no one's questioning. It's a, I don't know, I think, the, I think the Christians are gathering or something. It looks like they're starting a Bible study. The Holy Spirit shows up and massive things happen. That's why when we pray before we preach, when Zach and I and Dan, we pray, we call upon the Holy Spirit and say, this will happen because of you, not us. We put the impetus on God to do what we already just know and trust and believe he can do on Sunday nights. God, this is your game. We'll be faithful to our calling, which is to preach the truth. But then the Holy Spirit shows up and does crazy things with sermons that we could never do. Speaks into your life that we could never do. You know how many times we hear, like, that sermon was for me. I can't believe it. I'm like, I had no clue. I don't, what's your name again? I don't even, don't know you or your life. I'm sorry. I'd like to. Text me. Like, I don't know. Like, the only one that could possibly apply these to every heart in the room is the Holy Spirit. When he shows up, crazy things happen. I say crazy for a reason, because that's how the world sees it, as you'll see. Then we see in verse 9, he ascends. I, ha- I have a little balloon drawn in my Bible, because keep in mind, this was before balloons. Okay, so when the disciples are sitting there and Jesus starts to levitate, they'd never even seen a balloon. What are you doing? <laughs> and it says an angel comes down like, hey, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> it's like, He's just going home. Hey, <laughs> got work to do now. They'd never even seen a balloon. They'd never seen anything elevate like that. They've seen birds, of course, but just, <laughs> you'll be freaked out. The theological implications of that, I have no clue, but it's fun to talk about, okay? <laughs> Check this out. Let's go to chapter two. It says this, when the day of Pentecost, oh, this is the church's birthday. 
This is the church's birthday. Now, does community begin with the church? No, it begins with God. Transitioned into Israel. Came to the cross. But here's the next chapter. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Oh, there's the Christians gathering again. Thought we were just individuals, right? Just tweet about it later, right? They were all in one accord, and they were in one place, it says. Look down at verse 5. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. I love that. There's no bloodline in the church. Israel had it, to be sure. God had to protect the nation of Israel so that all the prophecy of the Messiah would be true when he came. You get that? He had to set up and protect. He's still protecting them today. I've been to Israel. There's not a single reason on the planet that country should still exist. You can walk across it in a day. Surrounded by billions of people that hate it and want it destroyed. And they wage war on this tiny little sliver and somehow are never defeated. God moves Israel through the Old Testament, protecting the genealogy, protecting, read the beginning of Matthew, protecting the lineage of of the Messiah so that there would be no one that could question that this truly was him. But now in the church, it says from all nations. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your creed. It doesn't matter your parents. It doesn't matter adopted, biological, every nation. The Bible tells us the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Every day I'm happy. We're in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I got nothing against goats. Every day I'm happy to be in the new, I'm Norwegian. I don't make it in the Old Testament, right? Every nation now, look around, every nation. You go through the backdrop of everyone, apart from all being probably Americans, Every nation, we're just around the world. This is the church now. From day one, all nations included in this new covenant. Because we're now defined by Jesus, not our law, not our ceremonies, not our lineage. So it says, from every nation under heaven. Check this out, verse 13. So Peter's going to get ready. You remember Peter, not exactly known for being bold. Right? In fact, I think in two series, we're going to take a look at Peter called Faith and Failure. Okay, couldn't even stand up for Jesus in front of a 12-year-old girl. Not exactly a bull worth of just boldness until the Holy Spirit knocks him upside the head. And now he's going to give arguably the most epic sermon ever given in the church's history on its birthday. But check out how the world responds. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Said he's drunk. He's drunk. Modern translation. (laughs) You're crazy. You go to church? It's crazy. We've evolved past that. We've evolved past that whole, you got to get together with you. Forget it, bro. You guys are drunk. You're crazy. Sunday nights? Forget that. Wednesdays too? Are you kidding me? You give 10% to the church? That's absurd. You're drunk. New wine. That was the good stuff too. Not two buck Chuck from Trader Joe's. This was the good stuff. This was the good stuff. New wine. Potent wine. Right? So you guys are drunk. You're going to face this. You're going to face mocking. You go to church seriously? Come on, bro. We're in college now. You don't have to do that anymore. Mom ain't here. You're going to see that. I think it's something like 80% of people drop out of church in college. 
You want to be countercultural? Go to church and college. Everyone's looking, what's the edgy thing to do? Well, no one's going to church, so why don't you try that? It's pretty edgy. You want to be one of the weird, the countercultural people? Do what only 20% of people your age are doing. Go into church. I mean, you'll be mocked for it. Peter was mocked for it. Jesus just ascended. Now he's a bold proclaimer, and they're making fun of him already. It's okay. He quotes Joel. Not afraid to preach the Old Testament. Zach and I, not afraid to preach the Old Testament. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. So he preaches out of Joel, which is pretty epic. The Bible is one big story. And so he goes into this massive sermon, a couple highlights. Men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered from the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Whose idea was the cross? God's first and foremost. You need to know that. We had our part. We went right along with our sinful inclination, but you need to know God knew Jesus would be murdered on a cross before we even invented the cross. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. Thousands of years before it was even invented by the Babylonians or the Persians. They started with impalement. It was his idea. This is God's story moving his people through history to point to himself. Says the determined and foreknowledge of God, verse 24, go down, says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. That's why the Bible refers to death for Christians as sleep. Everyone wants to go to sleep. Half of you want to right now. I love sleep. When we talk about death, we should in our minds restore an understanding that God says, Look, it'll be like sleep for you, and you'll wake up in heaven. It's not this big, bad, scary thing that we fear, simply a door that we step through. And the Bible says it's a lot like a nap. And we like naps. It says he's loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It's not possible that the grave holds Jesus. It's not possible. And it says this, verse 29, says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Whoa! It's like, hey, let me talk real quick about George Washington. You're like, whoa, that was the dude. He was awesome. I read about him, forgot about him, but I'm pretty sure I read about him. (laughs) Let me tell you about Abe Lincoln. Let me tell you about some of the fathers of our nation. He goes, hey, let me tell you about David, that he's both dead and buried. It's about a little respect there, Peter. (laughs) No, he's dead and he's buried. He keeps going. I love this Peter. This is my favorite Peter. The tomb is with us to this day. I've been to David's tomb. Still there. You can go to the tomb of Buddha. You can go to the tomb of Krishna. You can go to the tomb of Mary Baker Eddy. Of Muhammad. They all have tombs and they're still here today. They're dead people. He says, even David, a mighty man of God, used mightily by God for the gospel. He's dead. He's dead. It says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he put on the fruit of his body according to the flesh, Jesus would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 32, it says, this Jesus, Peter says, David's dead, but this Jesus, God has raised up. Jesus is alive. You don't serve a dead king. 
This church is not on mission for a dead king or an ancient book. It's on mission for an active, living, indwelling Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is up there right now, and he is listening. And I imagine at times he's crying, and at times he's smiling. And it says, this Jesus God has raised up. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And we're going to see the mission of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit's here now for the church. We're going to see three things about his mission. We're going to see that he glorifies Jesus, he restores people to Jesus, and he creates community under Jesus It says this in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. That's gutsy. Paul couldn't profess Christ to a 12-year-old girl. Now he's telling Jews they killed Jesus. He put David in the grave where where he belongs and he lifts up Jesus and says, you murdered him whom you crucified, the Holy Spirit, that God has made this Jesus, it says in verse 36, both Lord and Christ. And Lord was a political term. It says that's who you serve. And Christ was a religious term. It means savior, king. It says he rules every aspect now as Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, it says they were cut to the heart. Some of you have had this during a sermon, unbeknownst to the pastor, the Holy Spirit cuts to your heart. It's like he was talking to me. The pastor wasn't, but the Holy Spirit was. And you were cut to the heart, just like they, on the birthday of the church, they were cut to the heart. So we see that he raises up Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. They're cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, now this is where he restores people to Jesus. I love this. By the way, if you ever go to a church that doesn't preach bold and consistent repentance, run for your life. Jesus showed up on the scene, gave his first words in his public ministry was repent. Peter shows up. Now as Jesus is gone, gives the first sermon on the church's birthday and he kicks it off Old Testament and he gets right to repentance. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll throw this in there. If you've received Jesus and you have not been baptized, come tell me afterwards. We're going to get that taken care of. If you have not been baptized, You've accepted Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. It is a bold public proclamation. I would encourage you to do that. And Zach and I will walk you through what that looks like. Because this is part of community. And Peter says, for the remission of sins, repent for the remission of sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he's reconciling that broken community from Genesis 3. One by one, Jesus is grabbing people on their way to hell and yanking them back. Saved individually, but as we're going to see, not saved to individuality. So it says, you shall receive the gift. For the promise is to you and to your children. It's 
covenant language. For the whole family, it says, and to you who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I'll say this again later. You need to know, men do not build the church. Jesus builds his church. Zach and I have built no church. Pastor Rob, Pastor Britt, Pastor Tony have built no church. Jesus has built his church. We've just simply been there for the ride. Jesus builds his church. Men don't build churches. Men build false churches. Next series. Okay. Men build false churches. Jesus builds the capital C church. And it says, our Lord God will call. And then check this, verse 40. He says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Who thought that your generation was the worst? Peter's like, me too. Every generation has been the worst. Okay? You can go home and tell your folks that. It's not just my generation, mom. Okay, dad, you guys are screwed up too. Okay? Even Peter said they were jacked up way back then. Okay? It's not just your generation. Okay? The world is headed down. But we've been perverse since Genesis 3. So save yourself from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. We can't force this on anyone. Don't come forward for baptism unless you're glad about what Jesus has done. Not because Mark said, go, we should probably go do that. If you're glad about that, if that gets you excited, come talk to us. It says those who were glad... They received his word and were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who's them? The church. They weren't saved to their home Bible study. There wasn't a house in the land that could sit 3,000 people. They were not saved to home groups. They were not saved to individual faiths. They were saved individuality and then called to community. They were saved individually and called to community. That's why I truly believe in the depths of my heart that if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, it will never again be a question of should I go to church? It will always be the answer, I want to go to church. You don't have to go to church to be saved, but if you're saved, the Holy Spirit will make you glad to go to church. And that's for you to sort out with God. Some of you are like, we're here, Mark. We get it. Stop yelling, right? Like, but I truly believe that if you are saved, you will want to go to church. The Holy Spirit will see fit of that. So it says they gladly came. 3,000 souls were added to them. They counted them. They counted them. Some of you get freaked out. Like at Sunday morning service or something, you see the ushers like counting people. They're like, don't count. It's crazy. Oh, they counted. Relax. Okay. Just checking the numbers. Not seeing what we're doing, seeing what God's doing. Okay. About 3,000 were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that means teaching, and fellowship. That sounds like church. That sounds like church. Where do you go to get spiritual headship and leadership and doctrine and fellowship? Not in and out with three friends. The church and the breaking of bread every Sunday. 
every Sunday. That's why we do it. And it says, and in prayers, verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. This has much deeper meaning than your friends when they say, well, of course, it was the first century church. They were persecuted. No, this has spiritual transcendence through the times, through the ages. God calls his people to be together as he is together in community, as the nation of Israel was in community, as Jesus came to establish community. And so too now the church is called to be in community. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any has need. So continuing daily, verse 46, with one accord in the temple. Check this out. Check this out. You're going to see two things here. It says, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Temple was small or big? Big meetings? Houses are small or big? Small meetings. The church is a corporate. Big meetings? It says in Acts 2, in the temple? We're just a home church. And home church, Bible study, small group, intervarsity, Kalu, Young Life, all that sort of stuff. That's the application part. Write that down. Big church Sunday morning, Sunday nights, small group study. So you can't just wiggle out, right? It's beautiful. It's right there in the Bible. I don't have to make this stuff up. It's already written. Big church gatherings, small church gatherings. That's God's call. Are you there? You there? Are you just doing the big thing? Who's just doing the big? Don't raise your hand, sinners. Don't raise your hand. Raise your hand. How are you doing you love the big stuff, the band, right? I don't want to be sitting with four dudes asking me how my week went. That's weird. <laughs> Being held accountable and still people asking me how this thing went last week. I don't want to know that. I'm in one with Josh. Where's Josh? Dwyer's here. We're in the sweats, right? We're in a group. It's a little awkward. A couple of dudes getting together, talking about feelings and stuff, right? We talk about how our week went. We pray for each other during the week. We text back and forth, right? We get together in our, in our men's squad. And we have Sunday services. Big meetings, small meetings. Look, if you're at Channel Islands, I'd encourage you to get involved in university. I would encourage you to get involved in that small group, house-to-house, breaking a bread model that Acts 2 calls us to. Wherever you are, get in that small group throughout the week. If you don't have that, you're not on campus. We've got quads, which almost never means four people. <laughs> We have seven in our quad, okay? We don't do math at God speak. We just do discipleship, okay? If you don't have a connector at your school, okay, if you're not in a school, come up and talk to us. We got women's groups that are just kicking off, and we got men's groups. We'll just slide you right in. And look, here's the thing. I don't have to convince you. I just simply want you to know God's desire for you. That's it. I'll let you contend with him on your own. Let me know how that conversation goes. Okay, just let me know. God, I don't think, he wasn't really clear on the big and small thing. I'm not really sure what that meant. So good luck with that. Have that conversation with Jesus, okay? And so he says this, with one accord in the temple, big groups, and breaking their bread from house to house, small groups. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We go to street tacos before our group, don't we? On Thousand Oaks Boulevard. Oh, it's gladness. It's gladness with Jesus, right? 
They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Check this out. And the Lord, who added? The Lord added. Peter? No. No, Pope doesn't add to the church. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who before even heaven existed, was in perfect community with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who gifted Adam and Eve with perfect community until humans decided to make ourselves God. Then he continued to pursue them through the nation of Israel, set them up, established them, gifted them, blessed them spiritually, financially, to move them through history so that that the Messiah, when he came, no one could deny who he was. And then Jesus himself comes to be in community with his people, to reconcile us to God. Some of us weren't anyone here during Jesus' public ministry? If you raise your hand, I want to talk afterwards. Okay? So Jesus personally reconciling people in that relationship, and then he goes and didn't abandon us. In fact, it's crazy what he said right before he left. And my college pastor wrote a book, Better Off Without Jesus. Christians going to Barnes and Noble, like turning the book around. Because they didn't read the subtitle in really small print. Because I'll send the helper. I'm going to transition my mission via the Holy Spirit. So Jesus reconciling people to God, into community with God in his public ministry. Then he ascends and says, look, it's better for me that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit goes out and starts grabbing people, carrying us back from our path to hell, ripping people from eternity separated from God, saving people and adding them where? To their home study? To their personal relationship? No, that happened at salvation. He's now calling and plucking and putting people into community. But why? What is the purpose of the church, apart from what we've already discussed in terms of pushing the mission of Jesus Christ forward? And that's a huge part of it. But there's something even more eternal about our mission as well. See, look, here it is. I'm going to be as clear as possible. Going to church is not a social issue. It's not a social issue. Don't get drugged into social conversations. Going to church is not a social issue. It's not about me with other people and giving money and doing this and doing that. Look, that is not the foundation. It's not a social issue. Going to church, being in community, is a gospel issue. And I've taken us through almost the entirety of the Bible. And in Acts, now the church launches forward on mission for Jesus, continuing his mission. And it's beneficial for non-Christians that the church be in community. Because again, as God reflects his nature and his will and his character through Christians to a world, when when non-Christians see this outpouring, this love, this communication, this prayer, this grace, this mercy, they have to, they have to wrestle with how God is presenting himself to them. They have to. If we reflect God above, who's in perfect community, 
And it says in Genesis 1.26, it says that we were created in his image and likeness. Image bearers, stamped with his image, unlike any other part of creation. Image bearers, to reflect him like a mirror. So God shines down his nature, his character, his love, his grace, his mercy, and it hits our mirrors, and it's fractured, so the light goes off in kind of weird ways after it hits us, but it pushes out into the world. And the world, whether they want to or not, they never even show up to church. By the reflection of Christians in community, they begin to see Jesus among them as God reflects himself and pushes out into the community. And so it's beneficial for non-Christians to see the nature and the character of God. That's why we're loving. That's why we care. That's why we serve. Not so that they'll see us, so that they see the reflection of God above. And it's beneficial for Christians. Why? Forget the social stuff. Forget the, the kumbaya Forget the, get the, the age group. I love being with my this. I love, I love connecting. I love the business connection, this, that, and the other. It's all good, great, and grand, but I'm not here to convince you about the social implications that being in church has. There's, there's a time and a place for that. For Christians, it is our chance to point forward as we reflect God. It is our chance to point forward to eternity. It's our chance to point forward to eternity. Revelation 19, which is my... Favorite chapter in the Bible. Two of you have read it. That's great. Before Jesus comes back and slaughters his enemies, the chapter opens up. Does anyone know how chapter 19 opens up? Before Jesus gets on his horse, before he comes down, before he breaks a mountain, before any of that. Do you know how Revelation 19 opens up? Eternity is breaking loose. Heaven is cracking open. John looks up. The first thing he sees is heaven opens up. Jesus is getting on his horse in his robe. It's been dipped in blood. He's got a thigh tattoo. Some of you think I'm joking. It's written on his thigh and his robe. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's got crowns on his head. It says his eyes are like fire. Out of his mouth protrudes a sword. It's the word of God. Jesus comes to earth. When he's preaching, people are dying. You think the Bible's boring. But before all that, heaven cracks open and what does John see? He sees a worship service. I'm going to show you. Come on. Revelation 19. And these things I heard, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven gathered in one place. A great multitude saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth in her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Now that's a worship service I want to be a part of. Declaring victory over all the disgusting crap on earth. All the human trafficking, all the sex exploitation, all the porn industry, all the marital abuse, all the abandoned kids, all the unjust wars. Heaven cracks open and it's the church singing. And some of us don't even sing when the band plays. We will practice for a football game. We will study for a test. But when we get to church, we're not practicing for heaven. And it's beneficial for non-Christians to see God reflected in the community. And for us as Christians, we get to partake in but a glimpse, but a taste of heaven. A taste of heaven. 
From Genesis to Revelation, one of the great meta-narratives of the whole Bible is God's people in community. This is not a social issue. Anchored in community is a gospel issue. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that those words would radically change the next 15 minutes. That we would not see church as something we have to do. You've secured our salvation as we saw in the first week of this study. We were saved individually by you and we love you for that. You saved me. But now you call us to community. Jesus, just stir an affection in the hearts of your people tonight. Not just for you, though first and foremost you, but also for your bride. As a husband, I can confess nothing breaks my heart more than when someone doesn't respect my bride. And Jesus, it breaks your heart when Christians refuse to love your bride. And so Jesus, restore that hole in our heart tonight. Restore that hole in our faith. Jesus, thank you that on the cross, you were broken so deeply that the Father turned from you and eternal community was broken because you became our sin. The only time that community of the Trinity was broken was on the cross. And it's so that we could be inserted into community with you. Jesus, let that sink in. That eternal community was broken so that we could have eternal community with you. We love you for that. We praise you for that. And so now to a risen king, we stand and we sing. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.